Hello and welcome to another episode of the CG Garage. This is episode number 350. Kristen, can you believe it? That is only one away from 351. And thanks. <laughs> Not that that means anything. But 350 is exciting because it is my good friend, Ian Spriggs, who I am very excited to have on again this time to do to go on his book tour. Can you imagine? We're, we're part of the book tour now. This is so cool. I love it. Yeah, he is. Uh, as, as many of you know, Ian Spriggs is an artist who's very famous for his digital portraits that he's done, and he's written a book called "A Portrait in the a- uh, in the Digital A Portrait of the Digital Age," which is a really exciting book, and it's very exciting to see. Uh, and we had a lot of great conversations, not just about the book, but about a bunch of other things. Kristen, what did you think about the the podcast? Yeah, well, I thought it was just a super insightful podcast. So you not only talk about his new book, but you just go into depth um, on a lot of great subjects from like kind of the process of creating portraits, um, kind of how lighting, clothes and pose are incorporated into his images. Um, and then to shifts in the art world over the last few years, you talk about real time digital humans to NFTs and kind of his opinion on those. So I, I really enjoyed this one. And he's like, the sweetest guy ever so he is he is he is Mm -hmm. one of the kindest people out there and i'm very excited that he was able to join us on the podcast and talk about all the cool things that he's doing uh in that space uh yeah absolutely love it and remember that you need to pre-order this book because if you would like to get a discount on it so go to our uh i think we have a link on our page we should have a link on our Mm -hmm. page so go check it out there's a link on our page that tells you exactly how to buy it uh because the discounts will be over and then the book's coming out on december 1st so you need to pre-order now if you want to get that discount and get in get in on it early uh which is very exciting uh okay cool we have a couple of announcements what's going on Kristen? All right, so you can find this out at chaos.com slash events. So on November 18th, um, we are going to have the second edition of Chaos Day India. Um, so you can gain insights on the latest V-Ray 5 updates and how it is incorporated to the daily workflow of some of our guest speakers. And they are featured on the events page. Um, and also, we have the Student Rendering Challenge. So we've done this the last few years. The submissions end November 23rd. So you have like like a week or two after this podcast comes out. Um, but the theme is Create a Better World. Uh, and you can share your vision uh, for a chance to win lots of great prizes from like a V-Ray Education to Collection to Corona Licenses, Chaos Cloud Credits. So there's a lot of amazing things. Great. Yeah. And you can check it out if you go to chaos.com slash create a better world with dashes between all the words. So that would be cool. I can't wait to see your submissions. Uh, we also have a product announcement. V-Ray 5 uh, has been, uh, for Maya, has been updated to update 2. Update 2 has got a lot of great new features in it, and I definitely highly recommend it. There is better uh Bigger and uh, bigger and more USD integration that's been happening in there. So very excited to see that, as well as some other really great features, including stuff that we're doing inside of our frame buffer uh, and some really interesting uh, V-Ray Cloud uh, uh, features as well. So lots of great stuff. Go check it out at chaos.com for all of your information about all of our products. If people want to know more about the podcast, where can they go, Kristen? You can go to facebook.com slash cggaragepodcast or chaos.com slash cggarage. And if you'd like to watch us, go to youtube.com slash chaosgrouptv. 
perfect. And if you guys have any ideas about our shows or comments, please leave us an email. We'd love to hear from you. Labs at chaosgroup.com is our email. And of course, that like uh, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts, as Kristen has been saying. Uh, and don't forget to buy Ian's book. So go to our 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 our, our, our website at chaos group uh, chaos slash cggarage, and we'll have a link to this specific episode, and there will be a link to Ian's book right there. So go ahead and buy it before it uh, it goes leaves presale. But with that, please enjoy episode number three hundred and fifty with Ian Spriggs. Welcome to another CG Garage, where the chaos group talks. You'll know it's over when the last bucket drops. We're gonna fire off rays in high dynamic range. We know that ambient occlusion is passe. Global illumination won't lead you astray. And while image-based lighting is really swell, you need to make sure everything has for now. How you been, man? Yeah, pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah? yeah it's Very busy. exciting news about your book. This is the big news, right? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, there it is. <laughs> That's it. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Uh, well, I, know, I definitely know I'm very excited about getting my copy, uh, which will be hopefully soon. But I know that this is uh, currently in pre-sales, right? So you'd have to... These are... If people ordered them now, they'd be uh, that's a pre-sale. Is that correct? Yeah, yeah. So uh, pre-sales go until December first, and so basically, I, I think anybody who orders it before then gets a little discount, and then after that, you can still okay. order it. It's just not in pre-sales. It's just so we have a how right. many to build. Right, right. Well, I want people to order as many as possible, just so they can. Get a discount. <laughs> No, that's really exciting. But, you know, I was thinking about this now. It's like, you know, here you are, you've written a book about portraits, you know, and, and you've done you've done a lot of lectures on portraits and you've done a lot of uh, talking about it and a lot of things. This is so different. Like a lot of things have happened to you since we first met. Like that was a long, that was, what is it, four years ago, three years ago? When, was yeah. it four years ago? It must have been. Yeah, yeah. I think it was five, No, it's got to be longer than that. It's five years ago, I think. It was the first time the I met you at uh, the Digital Human League. We worked together on that, but I didn't officially meet yeah. you until THU, which was, I think, four years ago. Right. Okay. So that's that's a big that was a big deal. And I remember when I first met you uh, there, which which was really cool. Uh, you hadn't uh, talked in public ever <laughs> <laughs> before, <No>. right? <laughs> And uh, you were very nervous about your talk and how to give it. Um, and, you know, at that point, I'd given several talks. So I sort of tried to help you through it. But um, it ended up being an amazing talk. And in fact, I think you can actually watch that talk. Uh, I think uh, ArtStation has it available uh, as a, as a, <laughs> as a talk, that. right? Out of all the talks <laughs> I've done now, it's like my, the one where I seem the most nervous is the, the one <laughs> which gets shared. <laughs> That's the one that got shared. But I got to tell you, what's interesting about that talk is that it was really good, especially considering it was your first talk. Um, but what has changed in, with you, like, you know, in terms of those, how, you, how you've been able to talk about portraits and the way you've been, you've been thinking about them since then? Like, how, how, is, how has everything changed for you? Uh, well, back then, it was like, four, I started my portraits about six years ago with my self-portrait. And so I'd only been doing portraits for about two years, like when I did that first talk. 
And basically, it's been like a rabbit hole. Like I really dove down into like the like nitty gritty details of like what portraiture actually means and like why it's important and like I'm just starting to like answer the bigger questions of like what makes us human and trying to actually give specific answers to stuff like that and figure out what exactly the uncanny valley because there's not been too much out there about digital portraiture. Now I mean I find like there's no nobody it's like have a new feel so nobody really knows what's going on. And so like discovering all those questions that all these answers like uh, discovering the answers to all these questions I had, I feel like that's I've discovered a lot more of that stuff recently than I was than I did to uh, the, when I gave my first talk. What well what has changed? I mean what 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 have you learned like in terms of like what makes us human? Like what what what's, what's changed there? Well, uh, there's like there's just so many things which what makes this human. Like uh, in my book, I was just explaining like uh, uh, just like the uncanny valley, for example. That is a basically new, relatively new concept, but it basically describes exactly what not is human, what's not human. So by understanding right. what is not human, you kind of have an idea. Well, it's, it's eliminated all these possibilities. So now this is what is human, and it's like, uh, like eyes is like connection with the eyes, connection with like body language, like what the hands are doing, uh, stuff about what your clothes say about yourself. It's like it all adds up into what defines us as human beings, and it's uh, what defines us as human is not just a physical representation of our face. Most people think if I get a representation of this face, match it one to one, people are going to believe it's human. And it's like, well, no, that's not true. You've got uh, so many more variables. A portrait is not just a physical representation. It's a combination of all these different aspects which make us human added into one thing. But what 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 is that though? I mean, there is there is okay. You mentioned eyes and clothes and things like that, which are things that are obviously eyes is obvious. Everyone knows that eyes are so important in terms of the expression. Ooh. But clothes, for example, that was something you brought up. Uh, you've brought up in your lectures and you said, you know, this is an important part of the decision, right? That, that mm -hmm. people make about themselves. Like if you, uh, like, yeah, for example, if I dyed my hair blue or something, people might treat me a little bit differently. I might be like, oh, he's kind of like a more of a, like out of the box type of guy. He's kind of like that. So they might treat me differently. Right. I'll feel differently about myself. So our clothes are like, uh, it's like a, an expression of who we are, but it's also, it's like, it kind of dictates who we are and how we feel on the inside about how people are treating us. So if you take that concept and multiply it like a hundredfold, it's like even police, police who wear uniforms, they all, they become a part of a collective and they take on this identity of a superior, like person who can help somebody. Whether they believe that or not, because they're wearing the uniform, it's changed them mentally, their mental state, so they can become that person. Right. Yeah, it's true. I think it's very interesting because, I mean, and you, you also mentioned, you know, the fact that you no one's really been talking about digital portraiture for a while, but they have been talking about portraiture for a very long time, right? Ooh. Well, it, digital right? Oh, yeah, portraiture has been, like, the human beings are the number one subject ever in art. Like, we've been right. explored more so than any other subject ever, but yet... Our generation is the first one to actually exploit as the digital portraiture. Right. So we're kind of like 
taking that next step to see what is what else is there. Oh, and then yes. that takes us into like the digital medium and how that's changed from being able to paint and sculpt and stuff. So, right. yeah, I could I could go on to, I could go on about that as well, like how digital mediums open up a whole bunch of doors. Like for example, like hyperrealism. Uh, hyperrealism is it's kind of like photorealism, but it's uh, it's like a more of an in depth look. Like if you can take a photo of somebody, you look at that and be like. Yeah, that looks real. Hyperrealism is putting like a poetry to that story. It's making like something which is more like something believable, more believable. So I could, for example, add certain colors to make that emotion heightened, or like I would yeah. do express the body language even a more extreme pose to make you feel even more. And then I can add like details on top of the photorealism, which is even more. I can make you like zoom into. T tiny details which you might not have seen before and so a digital medium has allowed a lot more stuff to happen we can create stuff which is super believable but it's actually fake right so we can have now con control of uh, like real like reality basically right you can bend reality in a lot of ways, yeah right? exactly but uh, okay now and then you and i have discussed this in the past but you know he said that the uncanny valley is actually, you know, a new concept. It is in the sense that it, in terms of the word that we use, and we only tend to associate it with uh, digital work, right? Mm -hmm. But actually, uh, uh, artists have been fighting the uncanny valley forever, right? <laughs> so there's some paintings, you know, you know, a couple hundred years ago that definitely looked like they were in the Uncanny Valley in some yeah. ways. Like, like you can almost say the Mona Lisa looks a little bit like she's in the Uncanny Valley, right? Yeah. I think of the depth of the Uncanny Valley is a lot more evident with CG than it was with paintings, though. Like, you've got some, right. you know, like, Mona Lisa is not photorealistic, but it doesn't give you that cringe as, as much as some of the CG stuff. Because it's the CG right. which brings it even closer to reality. And, like, the closer right. to the reality you are, the the office just makes you revolted by it. Whereas paintings, you know it's a painting. You don't confuse it to be a photograph. You don't confuse it to be reality. Right. I guess that's true. I guess that's true. But it does have that cringe factor. That's uh, I don't know. Mona Lisa just looks a little weird to me sometimes. I mean, I think she's great. I think it's a great painting, but it is a little bit strange. Yeah. Uh, you actually have a great story about the Mona Lisa too. You talked about it in your lectures. Tell us, tell us the story about uh, about about what makes her special or yeah, not special uh, actually <laughs> so yeah i talked about uh like icons and like why we like the stuff we like like are we told we like it because we're supposed to like it or do we actually like it because we actually like it so i think Mona right. Lisa is a perfect example of that because everybody loves the Mona Lisa, basically uh <laughs> but it's like we like it because it's like we we're so famous like everyone who talks about it says they love it so it's like almost if you don't say you love it it's almost like, oh, what's wrong? And I think that uh, a part of that happened is because in 1911, the Mona Lisa was stolen. And when it was stolen, uh, the everybody came in and left flowers and remembrances in its place because they were like, oh, we've lost something. And then because of that, it became like this mass icon. And everybody was talking about it. And then they realized that... Uh, I think it was the janitor who stole it. Everyone thought Picasso stole it, but it was actually the janitor 
Mm-hmm. And so when it was returned, everybody, it was like an internet, uh, like a news sensation. Everybody was talking about it. And then all of a sudden it right. became this, the first icon in history, basically. Like the first major right. huge one like this before. And everyone all of a sudden loved it. And so it's almost like, well, do you like it because of because of the marketing maybe like, or do you actually look at it and be like, I feel a connection with that painting? Right. And what is your, what's your thoughts? I mean, because she wasn't that famous before then, right? As a no, painting. Not, not at all. I think it was a little <laughs> bit of marketing which made it famous. Right. And a little bit, yeah. So I don't know. I, I, I think I'm like you. I, I like the painting, but I'm not overly moved by it. Right. Right. Well, the other thing that, you know, you mentioned is obviously, like you said, you were, uh, you've had, uh, uh, there hasn't been much discussed about digital, digital art, but you, there has been a lot discussed about portraiture and in general, and that's something that you, as opposed to other sometimes digital portrait artists, you have studied portraiture much more or to a bigger extent than most people. What have you learned from from regular portraiture or what has you know inspired you and, and made you think about your portraits uh, in that way? What's been the things that's been really sort of helped you learn, uh, you, you know, what yes. you have learned? So a lot of the stuff I look at is from like the masters of art history, like Rembrandt and Caravaggio. And it's like, I learned mm-hmm. like from the lighting they do. It's like how basically it's like the lighting can just create an entire mood. You can have like sharp right. contrast lights, which creates more aggressive or more Rembrandt style, which is more like introspective and kind of pulls you in a little bit. So I really learned uh, what they've done, which works and what kind of doesn't work. And I do try to like let my work be influenced by them. I don't like copy it, but I do like kind of understand them and how the stuff works. So I can take those techniques and pull them into my own work. So uh, some examples like Rembrandt's, He'll do like pictures of his paintings of his like self portraits, and then if you look at his hands, the hands are basically just blurred out, and it's like you don't really notice it because he's so focused on the face, and it's like he's basically blurred out hands to make you focus on his face. So right. techniques like that, you're like, okay, well, it kind of makes sense of where you should be focusing and like how important uh, eye direction is in a painting. Yeah, and you and I think that's something that people don't realize. They just want to make someone look very photoreal. Yeah, and exactly. Lost the context of the of the story you're telling. Yeah, yeah. Like I think making a believable digital human being is not about the photorealistic, like realistic. Like I was saying, it's just like all these variables of like what you should be looking at, what the story is, what the person is thinking. Uh, you, yeah. And you used to paint too, didn't you? Or maybe uh, you still I did. painted a bit. Yeah, just before. I, Touch 3D. Did a lot of uh, portraits, and I was kind of doing more of uh, political art. I would say it wasn't really yep. too. Like it was focused on people, but the human figure wasn't the central subject. Whereas now, mm-hmm. the human figure is the most central subject. Yeah, I saw. It was interesting what I saw because I saw some of your earlier work, which was interesting. And it, well, like you said, it is quote unquote political, but it's paintings, but they're based on old paintings and you're updated them for <laughs> modern political reasons. <laughs> yeah. basically, Almost satirically. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's true. I did the, uh, the Raptor of the Medusa by Theodore Jericho. So I did like a contemporary yeah. version instead of a uh, shipwreck. I did a plane wreck and the right. 
uh, in the painting this waving to a, a ship in the background to save them. And my version is they were waving to an oil rig for the savior, <laughs> but it's kind of like the oil put them in the plane in the first place. So I could have right. paradox. <laughs> yeah. See? Yeah, it's pretty good. Yeah, but you think about a lot of these things, and obviously there's another thing that you've done is is obviously you've been influenced by a lot of these characters as well. And I remember when you started doing your portraits, you'd say, you know, this is the this is the thing that inspired me to do this portrait. Or what, when I look at my mother, I like to look at her this way, and I like to do this thing. And so you have a lot of inspiration. What is your what's your feeling about when you're doing when you're looking at uh, things like portraits and about inspiration? Like how does that how does that f- feed you in a lot of ways? How does uh, inspiration? Yeah, how does ins- how does how does how do you find inspiration? Like, how do you go for it and like say, ah, you know, that's what I want. To, that's that's the inspiration that I want for this specific thing. Uh, so you, yeah, usually I uh, I like to get to know the person. So most of my portraits are people I know, like my friends, my family, right. and so because I know them, I can kind of get a good sense of who they are, and I let that inspire the direction of the portraits. So right. rather than just going online and finding some random person I don't know and just trying to create this personality, which I don't know about, I try and know who the person is, figure out what type of person. And then I look at art history and I try and get the same sense of a feeling from a painting, which might suit their personality. And mm-hmm. then I'll go through like different lighting styles, which have been used in art history now. Like this is a perfect lighting style. Like it's a, like a, I, uh, like my portrait of Cassidy was inspired by the Mona Lisa because Cassidy is a young mm-hmm. woman. I didn't know her too well, so and I also most people don't know who the Mona Lisa is. So I thought it was kind of like a good uh, comparison because it's kind of like, sure feels innocent and like so I use soft, gentle lighting. Everything the curve, uh, the composition was all curves and oval shapes, which is very similar to what the Mona Lisa was. Right. But it's interesting how you, you know, you think that it it helps you, right? It gives you direction in terms of where you want to go, right? If you say, okay, I'm gonna, I'm inspired by this, then as opposed to, I don't know what I'm gonna do. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like my portrait of uh, Neil Blomkamp, uh, I wanted to be inspired by Caravaggio style lighting. Caravaggio did the very hard, like lighting on one side, dark shadows on the other, and it was very, like he did a lot of split lighting, like the mm-hmm. shadow right down the nose. And so I thought for Neil, because he was one of the top directors out there, I, I wanted to have the same power in in his portrait. And I thought Caravaggio's lighting was the most powerful, so I used his style of lighting in Neil Blomkamp's portrait. Right, right. And I, go, I want to get into lighting. I want to go back to Neil and talk about the hands for a bit. But before we get into that, let's talk about lighting, because I think that's something I saw in your book, because I've seen, you know, you've, I've been sort of you know, showing previews of it to me. Uh, but I, there's a large section about lighting that you've included in your book and teaching people about lighting, right? Yeah. So uh, what's what's interesting is obviously this lighting techniques is something that's been used in portraiture for a long time. Most people think of it as what's used in photography, which is also a form of portraiture. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But what 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 have you? I mean. Like, tell us some of the things, like some of the things that people need to be breaking down when they're looking at lighting and how they can they can affect things. Uh, so, yeah, I think like if I was to ever teach a class on lighting, I would basically say you should just use one light. Forget about all those backlights, like multiple lights, just get one light and see what that one light is capable of doing. 
So it's like you've got like the you got the main key light, and it's like uh, if you have it from the fr like directly from the front, you get flat lighting. You get it from the side, you get like split lighting. You get it from above, mm -hmm. you can get like a butterfly lighting where you create a shadow under the nose. You've got from a forty-five, you get like a Rembrandt where you get a sh like a light. And each one of those lighting styles creates a different mood for the subject. So if you right. want like dramatic subject, you can use uh, split lighting. Like the John Wick posters, the Marvel posters, they always use split lighting. Whereas like uh, right. if you're watching like Friends or Full House or like some sitcom <laughs> like that, they use uh, flat lighting, the lights straight from the front because they don't want the shadow creating a story. The shadow is supposed right. to be taken out because shadow, shadow creates the narration. And so for sitcoms, they don't want that stuff. They want the story to come from the, the actor, not the lighting. Right. And so this one light, you can basically create any type of emotion you want. So the placement of the lights is crucial in portraiture. And also, I'd say, the, the size of the lights. So right. if you have like a smaller light, you'll get crisper shadows. Larger light, you'll feel more like a drowsy day, feel more like a more of a gloomy, like portrait type of style. So the size of the light works. And then also you have to consider the light fall off. So how close the light is and far away the light is. And so fall off is another technique uh, which can create mood in, in a piece. Uh, uh, Rembrandt would use very soft fall off. So his light would be relatively close. And so there'll be a lot of fall off from the cheeks to the like torso, whereas Caravaggio okay. would use lighting where it'll be further away, but there'll be a stronger light source all over with a very quick change from light to shadow. So yes. yeah, you talk a lot in the book about the light fall off and how the inverse square law works. So basically, light. Yeah, which is interesting uh, because they they didn't have you know big flashes or soft boxes back then, but yet no. they had all those. <laughs> <laughs> stand closer to the window or further away from the window, right? That's, yeah, the, exactly. that's the kind of, yeah. Yeah. Like I'm sure yeah, like it, Rembrandt probably used like a lot of a candle lighting or something. And then like Vermeer right. obviously used like window lighting. Right. But yeah, it's all like, if you understand the inverse square law of how light works, you can really understand how the light would work. And you can, rather than guessing what it's going to do, you can just kind of go right off the bat and know what it's going to do. So the inverse square law is yeah. basically light doesn't die, it just gets dispersed. Right. So the further right. away the light, the uh, there'll be more like you'll get stronger shadows, but the closer the light, there'll be a lot more fall off. Right. It's kind of hard. Well, that's play. all in the book. Yeah. It's all, well, no, it's all in the book, so people should get it if they want to <laughs> see more about it, which is uh, which is great. Uh, but yeah, I, you know, obviously, like you you said, I mean, you've been you've been doing a lot of lectures on this uh, uh, now, and then you know, compared to like that, you know, four years ago when you did your first lecture, uh, a lot has you've been doing a lot of things and evolving. And you've also been going through a lot of evolution. You've gone and revisited all, a lot of subjects from your early portraits and re redid, yeah. redid them it's a kind yeah. of a ballsy thing to do because you know like hey you know look how much things have changed so what is your i mean like you know your own portrait has changed quite a bit from your oh, own yeah. from your first one to your second one and the same with eric and your mom and and everyone else so and your brothers as well mm -hmm. so what's what have you learned between those two things and what has changed in your style between those those two phases 
So I think there's like two two major changes, one artistically and then one with technology. So with digital work, technology is very evident. So a year later, you can tell like, oh, this work is old. And so you can see the technology improve. So I always try to avoid showcasing too much of the technology in the work and try and make a timeless piece. But it's impossible. Right. Like just technology just gets better and better. So between these two portraits of myself and my, my later version, you can really see the technology difference. But also I say on top of that, as an artist, I've obviously grown. I can understand what I'm supposed to be looking at. Like what's the most important features of what, uh, what a subject should be and express that a little bit better. And I think the self portraits I did, you can see in my very first one, I was kind of slouched over, my hair was kind of messy. I, I kind of looked unconfident. Like I, I liked the portrait, but I was like unsure of myself. Whereas my latest right. portrait, instead of me like kind of like facing this way like this, I'm more facing towards the camera and holding out like I have a light above my head. And it's right. saying I confidently know that I'm a portrait artist now. Like I'm not questioning or asking your permission if I can do my arts and like I hope you like it type of thing. I'm saying, no, this is this is who I am. This is what I do. So I think, do you feel that uh, in yourself as well? Like honestly. <laughs> yeah, I feel a lot more confident in my work now than I when I first started. Yeah. No, it's yeah. amazing. It's amazing work, obviously. And, you know, I can definitely see difference. Now, you mentioned the technology change. Like, what technology changes have you noticed? Because I, I know you and you're not always, like you said, you're like, I don't want to rely on the technology too much. In fact, yeah. you use you use as few features as possible <laughs> just not to muddy the water. <laughs> yeah, I uh, And I know this of you. Yeah. You do, but what what has changed? What has changed that you can you can think of? Uh, I think reference has got a lot better. So like I've got I better got a better camera now, so I can get like uh, better skin details, uh, like texturing X Y Z maps like, have come out, and they're like for more poor details. So I kind of I look at those and try and create my own versions for my own photographs. So it's like understanding what the skin looks like closer up. Uh, mm. I've looked at it through work. I've looked at a lot of scans now. And so just by looking at scans, I, I have a lot better understanding of form and anatomy. So just like, because it's like before like scans came out, you didn't know most people didn't really know what the human skin looks like without color. And so seeing it right. without color for the first time, you really understand the shapes and forms of that. So I've had a lot more experience looking at scan data. Right. Uh, uh, the rendering, I think, has got a lot better too. Like we raise the GPU stuff. That's just right. Been, like that's been a. I think that's probably been the biggest change for me. Just more real time rendering. I can create more iterations of my work. Was six years ago, I'd have to wait an hour per render just to see if I want to make a change in the eye. Render it for an hour. Like no, gotta do it again. So with this VRA right. GPU stuff, it's like seconds i can do it on the fly and i get like ten thousand portraits per portrait basically right yeah well that's cool so so real-time rendering you're you're starting and 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 you know the kind of stuff you're doing is super high detailed we're not talking video game stuff right mm -hmm. so uh you've been able to do i mean obviously i know uh uh, uh, well, both Chaos Group and, and, and NVIDIA have been big fans of your work, and so we've been supporting you in, as whenever we can. But uh, being able to, using GPU rendering, you've been able to really get through some pretty pretty hardcore uh, uh, iterations on these things, right? 
Yeah, I think, yeah, like NVIDIA and Vero supported me, got me some graphic cards. So I think at that point, I turned a leaf. I think that's when I first did, uh, I think that's when I did my self-portrait, my second one. And I feel like Could I be. overcame this uh, this barrier of like realism. Like I was always hitting this mark and then I just didn't know how to get over it. And then with the GPU, I was able to make 100 more iterations and I was able to make mistakes to see which option, which avenue I should be going down. Yeah, you weren't afraid to make a mistake, right? Because you could yeah. always correct it quickly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I remember, I remember. you know, I, I keep telling this this story, and this is a long time ago, but it was, uh, it was specifically, it was at, uh, it was at Sony. I was working on the last movie that they ever used a, a program called Burps on, which was their lighting package at the time. And if you move the light, this was before they were ray tracing even, this was with old RenderMan. If you move the light, you had to re-render a shadow map on the farm <laughs> to get that. And so you'd have to wait. So people just didn't move lights because it was a pain in the ass. So they would never make that this, it, it, it <laughs> held them back in terms of being able to just move a light. And so it was very you know, like the fact that you can move your light and continually do that and then make the decision as you're doing it is kind of obviously a big deal. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Uh, but, but I know you also, there's a lot of stuff that happened with hair to your hair. Your hair started to look very different after a totally. while. I think you started using, do, doing yeah. different things with hair. What happened there? Viri came out with that uh, amazing Viri hair shader. Yeah. It allows life changing. So before I was using, uh, was it N-Hair? Maya N-Hair? Uh -huh. With uh, the Viri, I can't even remember what it's called. The old Viri. The old hair shader. <laughs> and yeah. so basically I had to make a, a patch and then I made another patch and then another patch and then I like basically I'll have to make hair by using patches. And then right. I started using X-Gen, which is a lot easier. Uh, still takes a lot of work to make it realistic, but it gives more natural results. And then mm -hmm. adding a V-Ray hair shader to it where I can control the melanin levels and like randomizations throughout different hair strands and stuff. That really made a more believable, uh, believable hairstyle. Look. Yeah, yeah. It's. I think it was. That was. You could definitely tell how. You know, if you go through your history, it's like, oh, there's a moment there. Their hair changed. <laughs> Something changed. <laughs> so it was pretty. It's pretty cool. Now you mentioned you mentioned your uh, your work. Can you talk a little bit about what you're doing at uh, at work and where you work now? Uh, yeah. So I work at Unity. Unity now. So I'm just modeling some yeah. uh, some real time digital humans. Just trying okay. to. Yeah, I'm more of like in the labs departments. So I'm doing more of the exploration stuff and of like how to actually progress the digital human forward. So I'm just creating a whole bunch of characters for that and yeah, just trying to push the realism in the real time renderer. What 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 do you think is the what do you think about digital humans now in real time rendering? I mean, this is a thing. This is gonna be important. Everyone is doing it. Everyone has some kind of a digital human program i'm sure apple even has one and facebook <laughs> has one and epic has one unity has one like digital humans in real time is a big subject like what what's going on there what's your thoughts on that i think uh yeah i think it's a long way off for being indistinguish indistinguishable from reality I, I feel like no matter what it's still kind of cartoony uh 
I feel like the best right now is just to, if you can just avoid the Uncanny Valley, but I feel like they're getting better and they're becoming, uh, like some of the gaming stuff has become quite good, but there's still a huge, huge gap between real time and just like uh, rendering offline, I guess. Well, so, what what is, sure, but what, what do you think the roles are going to be with digital humans in real time? I think people are looking at it for games or are they looking at it for avatars? Are they looking at it for the metaverse? Whatever you want to define that as these days. But what what, what do you think they're going to be do, used for? Uh, it's kind of hard. It's kind of, that's a big question. I'm not sure exactly sure exactly what they could be used for. Because basically, I think what we're trying to do is recreate our reality and like in digital so we can have more control. So it's like basically anything we do now as humans, they're going to use those, do the same things in the digital world, like we will have real estates where you can go like get your digital avatar to go live in the new real estate and we'll have, uh, you can be able to change your face. It's basically just becoming anybody you want to be, I think, is the idea. Yeah. So what are your thoughts to, on that? <laughs> uh, I don't know. I think it's like, there's a lot of uh, fear amongst it, I think. It's called digital, digital phobic. Whereas people have the fear that the digital is going to be this digital omnipresence and everyone's going to be using fake news and everyone's going to be lying and all this stuff. But I think it has a huge upside potential too, because it's like, we can be like, be honest about it. We, we can change our faces, change our features and uh, I don't know, it go travel, travel like this online internet world or something. And it's like, you can start doing stuff you can't actually do in real life. So I think it's actually, and it'd be like for medical purposes, this might give us more insight of how to do stuff like this. Uh, video movie productions, you can just mostly work from home. So stuff like coronavirus and stuff like this happens again, like it won't be, uh, it won't hold back people's lives. Right. Yeah, possibly. I think it's very interesting uh, to think about, but like, I don't know. There's something very. I I I completely agree with you. The digital digital phobia. I've never heard that term, but that's a, a very good one. <laughs> I will I will continue to use that term. People are people were so freaked out about deep fakes when you know there's yeah yeah you know <laughs> I mean Maybe. of course there's 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 situations that you should be aware of, but the best thing you can do with deep fakes is make deep fakes and say this is a deep fake so that people get used Ooh. to seeing them and they'll know to question things that might be a deep fake. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, like, it's right. like everyone just automatically goes to the negative for some reason, like, oh, it's going to be fake news. It's like, well, imagine like, uh, uh, like a CEO of a company is like giving a presentation on the top of a exploding volcano. That would be like pretty cool to see. But it's like, right. you can have a lot of more upside potentials, but it's like, it doesn't always need to be something fake. Right. No, it's a, I, I, the last, the last talk I did just before the, the, the pandemic hit, I went to Vegas and I gave a, I was on a, on a panel that was uh, done by, uh, Ayatsi, uh, the SAG, SAG, um, sorry, no, SAG after, not Ayatsi, SAG after, uh, which is the Screen Actors Guild. And they were concerned about deep fakes and what deep fakes was going to do to actors and what they're doing and you know taking their 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 their, their likeness and stealing it and i was like yeah 
maybe, or maybe it means you don't have to be there anymore. Yeah. <laughs> just, exactly. So it's kind of interesting to, to think about it that way. But anyway, it was very, it was, a, it was, I think it's a definitely an interesting, an interesting subject, but what about the challenges? Like you said earlier, he says, this is, we've got a long ways to go before they're indistinguishable from humans, especially when it comes to, to real time. What mm -hmm. are the challenges that you feel, you know, besides the obvious lack of detail that you can't get right now, are there other challenges that you think are, are there as well? Uh, right now, I'd say the biggest challenge would be movement. Because your body is such a complex machine. It's like you've got the skeleton, the muscles, the flesh, the fats. This, the grit, mm -hmm. skin, all the gravity on top of that. Uh, and it's like everything's all moving all at the same time. And it's like, you just, you can't recreate that at the moment. So I think you can get a pretty realistic digital human stationary, but as soon as it moves, it kind of breaks down a little bit. So I think that's probably the biggest challenge we're facing right now for digital humans. Right. Right. Yeah. I, yeah, I agree for sure. Mm -hmm. uh, but there's going to be, you know, it's interesting. So I've been working on a project uh, and I sometimes think that we overthink things, especially when we try to do things and make things more complicated than they need to be. And yeah. sometimes the technology gets in the way of the realism. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and so I was doing something, I was doing, uh, you know, uh, a virtual production project. Where I've been playing around here in my, backyard and I've been and we captured someone's face with literally just an iPhone and some you know blend shapes the AR kit blend shapes that are that come uh, in that that work and I was going to like oh this is going to look terrible and then I <laughs> because you know the thing is I you're right like I've been seeing a lot of stuff recently with digital humans like meta human stuff that's come out from epic is everywhere and it looks like meta human stuff yeah. like it all looks very like the motion of the face to me honestly just does not look right at all and so I was worried it was going to look that way and I realized oh I think what I did, because mine was not photoreal, or not supposed to look like a perfect human, yeah. the motion was pretty darn good, considering I just used a phone and I didn't have any markers or anything, you know? Yeah. And it's, I think there's, I'm not trying to say that she looks real, but I'm just saying that the, the expression was there. Like, somehow I could get the expression. And it's, I think that's the challenge you're saying right now, right? Is getting the mm -hmm. right expression to come through? Yeah, exactly. I think so. Yeah, I think... Uh... Right now, it's like we're taking like a math approach to the digital humans for the most part for stuff like this. And it's like we're like, all right, we've discovered that there's a skin shader. We've discovered the hair shader. We've discovered and we've got a list of variables. And we've, let's say, I don't know, a thousand variables we've got locked down. But the, a digital human is a million variables. So with time, we'll just yeah. add enough variables that you've created enough that you actually won't be able to see the difference. You might not add all of them, but it'll be enough for you consciously not to be aware of anything else. Yes. Now, this is actually an important point because I, I, I've had this discussion about your work with lots of people, including a lot of our developers over at Chaos who have seen some of your files and some of what you've done. And they're and their basic reaction, and this is, I think everyone who's doing digital humans or doing things that seem like it should be very complex, like humans, should should note this. You don't change a lot of variables. <laughs> you yeah. use mostly default things for almost everything. 
And yeah. you only control the things that you can control or you have the better control of, such as textures and modeling. <laughs> yeah. And and everything else stays the same because you know that that's a variable that you don't need to touch. I mean, is that something that you think people should really note a lot more when they're doing things, right? No, I, also I think, yeah, like I think there's like technology, once you get to a certain level, like you can quite, you can get away with a lot of stuff. I mean, you can start tweaking stuff and making the shaders a bit better and really fine-tuning those numbers. But I think better time spent is like wondering about the artistic side of things, like talking about like body language and how does that body language make that digital human feel real? How does the eye contact change how you feel? Like the lighting, all, there's a whole bunch of artistic variables which will outweigh the these tweaking these numbers and some shaders that you don't really know what they mean. Yeah, yeah, I think that's a good, that's a good, definitely a good point. All right, I want to come a couple, you know, talk to you a little bit about something else that you and I were, were screwing around with a little bit earlier this year. And I'm sort of wondering what your what your feelings are about it now. I remember, you know, back, this was back around March or so, um, when, you know, a lot of people are starting to put out NFTs and you decided to, to experiment in that market and you put out a couple of NFTs. What are your thoughts about that and how that, how that went and where it is today? Um, <laughs> it's, uh, I've gone, I went from pretty positive about it to begin with to not as positive about it. So, okay. uh, my interpretation is like, uh, before NFTs, there was the, the art world, and then there was the business side of the art world, and the business side of the art world took the art, art from the art world and kind of made it into money. It was all about money. Like, we'll make some artists famous, we'll sell the work for millions of dollars, and it was about tax write-offs, and it became a business, basically. And so it's no longer about good quality arts. It became more about the business side of it, how can you make more money from it? And right. so NFTs came out, and I was like, this is amazing because those businessmen, those business people, they have no input of what is going to be bought. And the stuff which was being bought was some of like really cool artwork. And so good quality artwork finally was going to make it step forward and be able to make, uh, become like well-known and have the reputation it deserves. But then I'm realizing now it's not, that's not happening. It's people of buying stuff so they can trade it and it's also it's becoming a business now so the stuff which right. some of the stuff which sells isn't really good stuff like stuff which sells for half a million dollars is like most people could do it's just happened to be that this person got lucky or there's some good artists out there like uh people and Raphael Gossetti like some phenomenal artists but a lot of the right. side some small stuff it's just it's not good work and I feel like these People, the collectors have become the art business people. Like it's just, it's been replaced. It's interesting that you say that, you know, because I've actually been thinking about that as well. And I think what, you know, what was interesting is that that market, you know, when Beeple did what he did, right, which has got, went crazy on the news, um, it was su it was several things that, that we were discussing back then. It's like, oh, this is great. Digital artists finally have a market, right? It was very hard mm -hmm. for digital artists. You know, you could do a print of your thing and then you put it up in a museum or whatever, but everyone knows it's a digital file, right? So it doesn't it doesn't have the same thing as buying a painting, but somehow the idea of this NFT is like this is a legitimate place to do that. 
But that's when, you know, the art world sort of took on NFTs and it became a big thing. But NFTs were much bigger than just paintings, right? They were doing other things. Mm -hmm. But I think what happened back then is that uh, the the market got saturated. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Everyone started just whatever gift they made <laughs> back when they thought they were going to make a quick dollar and it just like yeah. it just didn't make any sense. So um, I think the NFT market's changing, honestly. I think, and you're right, it is about money. It always, and it always was. Yeah. It was about money when you were selling your NFT too. <laughs> yeah, that's true. But I feel like there was a lot of good artists making some, some headway. Like Beeple is the first one we mostly know about. And he's got some like very conceptually good artwork because his artwork's about like. like that's worth money. Yeah, that's what's funny. Like, he so, so that's that's what that he's doing is like, look, this is actually worth something, and it's translating into cryptocurrency, which is fine. I think that's fine. I think if uh, I don't know, I, I think there's something really kind of okay about it uh, about about that aspect of the of the money part of things. Um, there's obviously a lot of questions about the uh, 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 the carbon footprint that are that are need to be addressed at some point mm -hmm. as well, but. Um, but that was an interesting thing. Yeah, but I thought it was interesting that you 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 dabbled into it. You want to see what it was like, and I think that everyone should ex at least experience it, yeah. and and come uh, and and then you know obviously you, you haven't been putting you haven't put any NFTs out in a while or just that one time. Uh, not two I put, other, right? Uh, I put four out in total. I've sold two of them. So, oh, okay, fifty-fifty. Yeah, so, yeah. Right. I'm, I'm doing okay, I guess. I suppose. <laughs> Yeah. Yeah. That's better than okay. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, okay. So, so, all right. So you put, you, you sold, you sold for what on the practical side of thing, what was your experience about doing that? Was it complicated? Was it good? Was it easy? Was it, you know, what was, what was it? The experience uh, of doing that? I think it was just more stressful than anything. I could practically, really? it's just like you just got to set up uh, your wallet and stuff. I mean, you can just go online and they'll give you a step-by-step -step instructions of exactly how to do it. So it's not, it's pretty easy to get into it. It's just mm -hmm. the stress of entering the space because everyone's got such high hopes. And then most people are, <laughs> are getting crushed. <laughs> yeah. 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 I think that's the difficult part for everybody. And it's like the emotional, uh, the mental health, I think. Because art is not about making money. I know, uh, I know. Like a lot of people think, it, like there's a art, like money behind it. But the deep down, art is not about money. It's about expressing yourself, putting yourself out there, creating something you want. Putting like it's you in artwork. It's your voice, and that's the purpose of art. It doesn't matter if people like it. it doesn't matter if people buy it. It's just being creative. Basically, that's what yeah, what art is. And so, but I think there's ways. I mean, yeah, I mean, there's ways of making money and being creative at the same time. Uh, at least there should be, mm -hmm. <laughs> right? Otherwise, we wouldn't have all these creative things around us, right? Yeah, and everything but you shouldn't that's feel like every... a failure. Like you shouldn't feel like you failed. Yeah, because it's, that's not what it's about. Like, it's, yeah, and it's I think good. that's also. And and it's been. I mean, there was a lot of division in the art world too, right? About this. Like on Instagram, etc. I mean, you got some didn't necessarily get the best feedback from, from some of your people because of you entering this market, right? Yeah, I think those became a little bit of a I'm not sure about like jealousy or there was there was a little bit less support for the community 
because people are making some good money and then some people are like, well, I deserve it too because some of the stuff which was selling was not good art and they were making millions of dollars and then somebody who was a good artist would come by and be like, oh, like, I've not sold a single piece. Like, this is ridiculous. Like, you don't deserve it. And people started realizing that likes and all that stuff actually equals money. And so they'd be like, well, I'm not going to like your stuff because if I like it, that equals money for you. So I think there was a little right. bit of anger and jealousy on that level. I think it's getting a bit better now. But yeah, okay. I, yeah. Yeah, it's interesting that, that's, that, that, that that happened. But it's also about marketing too, right? Like some the people that were not necessarily good artists but were making millions of dollars were probably better at marketing themselves than the people that made less. It's possible, yeah. I think it's, yeah. I think it's like different... Uh, yeah, different people. Like some people are marketing themselves. Some people are just like, just I don't know. I honestly, if, if I knew, I probably would do it. <laughs> I would do it too. If I knew this. Yeah, yeah, it's true. It's true. I mean, I I, I remember a lot of people, and that, you know, Rafael, you know, uh, he's he's done some great work out there. Mm-hmm. Right. But I looked at his work. I was thinking about it, you know, back when this was all happening and there was a lot of great work out there, a lot of really cool things. And I looked at Raph's work and I was like, OK, look, he's very smart. Mm-hmm. Like, it's not just that he's a great sculptor. Right. Yeah. Exactly. He knew the audience of that market. That market are at the time and still is probably to the, to, to the, in the a bunch of crypto bros. Right. I don't want to. <laughs> yeah. So so he made sculptures of people that are deeply into the crypto world. <laughs> exactly. Right? Yeah. And so he made those guys. And so I was like, oh yeah, I want a portrait of that guy. He invented Ethereum, you know, like, or whatever it was. Like he, he made portraits of those specific people. Yeah. And I think that that is smart because it's not just him being talented as an artist is one thing, but he's also selling his art to a specific audience at this point, right? Oh yeah, he's like he's one artist who's really is able to connect with the audience on another level. So I think he's done right. pretty well for himself. And people are the same. He's connected uh, to like the uh, more of like a social commentary of what art is kind of like, where it's like he does mm-hmm. one every single day. And basically, that's kind of like a comment of like we have so we have millions of images coming in every day. And it's just like pile on pile, pile of art. And his work, because he does it every day, is like it makes a comment on the fact that we're piling on art and art type of thing. And then he also makes right. it interesting about funny jokes about political issues and stuff. So he, he's done pretty well for himself too. Yeah, 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 yeah. He's, in fact, I, it was interesting. I was, uh, several, many years ago, I was at uh, the uh, D2 conference in Vienna. Uh, and it was, uh, it was an ArcViz event. And Beeple was there at the event, and during our one of the happy hours, he was drawing one of his one of a day, or creating one of his one of a day pieces of art while we were sort of sitting around watching him work. So he's like, "Hey, I got to get my port my 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 art out today." And so he's like <laughs> drinking a beer and working in Cinema 4D or I think it was C4D. It was it was pretty it's pretty hilarious. Nice. So that's cool. And then you know you take that concept, five thousand paintings, right, or five thousand yeah. things. And turn saying that into something sellable, I think that was a really brilliant thing. I think that's one of the well, biggest are, things as an artist, like because uh, everyone everyone has that goal of what they want to do and like really push it to the absolute limits. Like people's doing one per day, and that's like he pushed that to the absolute limits. Like you can't really work hard on that. 
refs. Right. Do the same thing, connecting with the audience the best you can. It's like, and then here I'm, I'm trying to do portraiture the best I can, just diving as deep into portraiture as I can. I think to be su- successful, you have to really find that love in art and go as deep into it as you possibly can, whatever avenue that can be. Well, what it, What is the next thing for you for portraiture? Uh, I've, sport, I've explored a lot of like uh, uh, friends and family and uh, portraiture specifically, but I think I want to focus more on uh, the human figure. So not specific person, not trying to capture the specific identity of somebody, but more of like the human body and how that can be seen in different ways of so like how lighting can change something or what body language means. I want it to be more about uh, a communication of how humans communicate rather than saying, this is a portrait of myself or my brother or my friend. I want to yeah, just explore that stuff. I've done a couple like this before, like my portrait of Heidi. I put a super bright red light on her face and she has a very like calm, gentle pose, which is very contrasting. So I thought that was mm-hmm. like kind of opened up a doorway for me to realize like, oh, it's very aggressive, violent light compared to a gentle, kind pose. And I was like, how does that make the viewer feel like putting those two opposing things together? And then I did one of a portrait of Marie where it was like when the NFTs first came out, uh, NFTs are basically like you have an original source from a cop- multiple copies of an image, so you have multiple copies, mm-hmm. but then now there's NFTs to find one original one. So I wanted to see if I can convert that into a digital human. So I have one face multiplied four times, and it starts exploring like how does identity change? Like if you can multiply somebody, where does the identity lie? Right. And so I like those yeah. concepts of like seeing humans in a different way. I, I really am quite intrigued by that. So I want to explore those avenues more. Yeah, for sure. For sure. It's yeah. interesting. Did you, I mean, were you influenced a little bit? You must have by some of the stuff that Scott Eaton has done and has been exploring as well. Is that something that has sort of had an influence on you? Uh, a little bit, yeah. Like, I think I'm more influenced by his, like, his mindset more so than his actual, like, his work is, like, his AI-driven, where he's created some amazing sculptures. And it's just right. absolutely beautiful stuff. What I like about Scott Eaton's stuff is the fact that he was an anatomy guy teaching anatomy mm-hmm. and then he completely changed path onto a different direction and he used every, all of his knowledge to take that next step of like everything right. he's learned in his life to the, take that next step and i think he's become a more powerful artist because of it and i would feel like doing something similar taking everything i've learned about portraiture and seeing how i can also change my path a bit to see what that next step is do you feel that AI has a role in any of the things you're doing? Or uh, It's possible. I've not explored it, but I'm not going to say no to it. I'm, right. I'm open to like any technology or any tool if it helps me express what I want and helps me learn more about the human, like what makes us human beings. I'll, I'll take whatever tool I can get. Yeah. Yeah. It's, 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 I think it's really cool. I love Scott's work, obviously, as you know, and, you and I, you and I have sat down with him for hours, going over it and going, "What the? Yeah. Hell is this? this is amazing." Uh, so yeah, it's definitely really cool stuff, and I definitely think uh, people should check it out. 
Well, listen, I'm very excited about uh, the book that's coming out. Um, again, people, where where can people find it? Uh, Juicebar.eu. The Juicebar.eu, and then just look up Ian Spriggs portraits yeah. in there. Yeah, basically. Is that the name of the book? It said Ian Spriggs portrait, right? Uh, Ian Spriggs portrait of the digital age. Portrait of the digital age. Yeah, it's great. Yeah. So definitely check it out. Uh, I highly recommend that if you guys are interested in what that means. Uh, and Ian is obviously, you know, a good friend of mine, and, and I am very excited about him doing that. And just thinking about the fact that you did that one lecture where you're like, I don't know if I can do this, like four years ago, and here you are writing books about it and selling it to everyone. Yeah. It's really kind of exciting. It's is there anyone you want to thank that helped out on the book as well? Hold on a second. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> oh, well, there you go. There you go. I'd, I'd like to uh, thank uh, the gentleman right here. <laughs> uh, he's, uh, just so for the audio people, he's opened up the book to uh, a page where uh, my portrait was uh, featured in there. So thank you so much for that. But yeah, but there's, a, I think there's a, it's been, a, it's been, a, uh, yeah, it's been really cool. So I'm very excited about that and people should definitely check it out. Well, it's cool. Anything else you want to announce is coming up or you, people should check it, check you out obviously on Instagram and see where, where your next portrait is coming from. When is, when's the next one going to be dropping? Oh, uh, maybe in a week or two. I actually did a, oh. a portrait. I told you I'll never do it, but I did it. I did a portrait of a, a child. Oh, a right. Yeah. It was one of the most. That must've. <laughs> yeah. So challenging. Like the challenges of doing it, Digital kid is just on on another level. It, it's like yep. the anatomy's different, the skin's different. Like there's like a, the chubby cheeks, like the subsurface scan, like everything is like everything you think you know. It's, it's wrong when it comes to kids. <laughs> <laughs> okay. I'm looking forward to seeing that one. It's going to be interesting. I mean, you and I, when we were walking around the uh, the museum in, in Malta, we were looking at some of those portraits. We the, the children are like just weird looking in <laughs> some of those paintings yeah. they just never got them right yeah, <laughs> yeah, they, yeah. very I did, hard i did that one talk where i had like a, a 10 pictures of paintings of kids and all of them mm -hmm. were just like hideous like <laughs> <laughs> yeah all right well i look forward to seeing yours and i hopefully it's not hideous <laughs> 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 but I'm sure it'll be great I'm sure yeah. it'll be great well cool alright well thanks a lot Ian I really appreciate it thanks for trying to be too Chris